0: Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. My voice is trying to go out this morning and um, trying to save it. And then for what a beautiful name, I was like, well, if I lose my voice during singing and worshiping, so be it. I said, but I can't be quiet. And uh, man, what a beautiful name it is. I hope that spoke to you. I hope um, that's just a wonderful time of worship, wasn't it? That's just so amazing. So anyways, Jesus is amazing. If you didn't know that, he absolutely is. But today I want to brag on myself a little bit, want to let you know that I had this moment the other day where I was just super proud of myself. Have you ever had one of those moments where you can honestly say, "I have matured. I have become sophisticated." Maybe not the second part, but at least the first part. You see, a couple days ago, Jessica and I were getting ready for bed. We were doing our normal bedroom, you know, normal routines. But before we go to bed, and one thing I always do before bed is I, as I put. Some chapstick on or some, some lip balm on. You judge me however much you want. That's just what I do. Looks like this. Here's a picture of it, okay? I put this on, this swivel stick. Every night, put it on, chap my lips up. It's a great bedroom routine if you don't do that, okay? And so that's what I do. And when I went to look for my chapstick, I put it high up on the shelf in one of these shelves in my room because for some reason at my house, I don't know about your house, things like this grow legs and run away, right? And just here's a side note if you didn't know. Some of you, I'm glad you came out. and you didn't know this. Do you know if you put things back, it'll be there the next time you need it? I know. It's amazing. Like, that happens, unless it grows feet, which it does sometimes. So anyways, I had the chapstick, and I was looking for it, and I didn't see it where it's supposed to be. And so I looked around my room real quick, and I didn't see my chapstick, but I saw something else. I saw this. A glue stick. Okay. Saw the glue stick. And if you didn't know, the lights were kind of out. Just had the TV on because I watch TV. Judge me all you want. That's just what I do. And if you notice, next slide, look at this. They kind of look alike, right? Especially with the lights being real dim and things like that. And so I saw the glue stick and I realized my wife's not in the room. And I know she's going to come in the room and she's going to reach up for our lip balm like she always does. And I thought to myself... How funny would it be (laughs) if I replaced a glue stick where the chapstick's supposed to be? I mean, doesn't every wife enjoy being pranked right before bed? (laughs) But here's why I'm proud of myself. I didn't do it. I stopped myself, and I thought about how amazing it would be, and I laughed, and I was just giggling to myself, and then I realized this would not be the best thing for my marriage or my health. (laughs) So I was so proud of myself. Check this out. Jessica came in the room. I was so proud. I was like, Jess, guess what? Guess what I almost did, but didn't do? She wasn't impressed with me at all. She gave me this look like I would have stabbed you. And I'm serious. Like, that's what she communicated in that moment. But he, here's my point. I can, in fact, in my life, and, and I'm sure you can too, I can point to real tangible things, real tangible uh, places where I am maturing as an adult. And, and that may seem small to you, not pranking my wife before bed, but you should have met me 20 years ago. It's, I've come a long way. But that got me thinking, like, shouldn't we, shouldn't you, shouldn't me, shouldn't we have, have real tangible things we can point to in our spiritual life when it comes to maturity? Shouldn't there be things we can point to that show, like, man, here's, here's some life change. Here's some things that have happened. Here's some things I, I, I didn't do. I wanted to, but, but I didn't do it. I mean, shouldn't there be something that we can point to, like, here's some things, like, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be maturing. Like, wouldn't it be easy, like, wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus, like, gave us this thing to be like, hey, here's some things I want you to do, like, some, here's some things you need to give your life to. I mean, wouldn't it have been so much nicer if Jesus told us exactly what he wants to see in our life? Like, a summary statement of, like, this is what it looks like. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, luckily for us, he does. And that's what we're going to jump into this morning. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 4. We're continuing our study and going through the book of Matthew. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. There. Look at it. You see that magic? I pointed in heaven. See the magic? Okay. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 14 says, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulon and I Went there the other day. Yep. Um, this is fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah, and now he continues on uh, yeah he, he continues on to give us this, this um, idea of, of Jesus once again fulfilled this, um, these prophetic Old Testament passages. but you see jesus ministry, this is what's important because it 's kind of like Matthew just keeps going, says when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, like we, we We just think, okay, John's been arrested. We don't know what's going on, so he got baptized. He went to the wilderness, and all of a sudden, John gets arrested. But traditionally, it's thought that Jesus ministered for for three years. And one scholar breaks it down into this. It's called the year of obscurity, where people don't really know who he is. Then you had the year of popularity, year two, where his popularity just increased. People are like, wow, this is pretty great. And then you have year three, where it's increased rejection, and we see the aggravation and agitation of people from Jesus. Now, what's happened right here is Matthew just jumped year one. do not tell us about it. He just jumps straight ahead. Oh, he comes out of the wilderness. All of a sudden, John gets rested. We know that's not how it actually happens. In fact, all the synoptic gospels, that's a big word, but it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar, so they're called the synoptic gospels. All of them admit Jesus's first year of ministry. We don't hear anything from them about his first year. It's all of a sudden like all this stuff happens. But luckily for us, John, the gospel writer John, tells us about it. So if you read John chapter 1, 26 through chapter 4, you see this first year of Jesus' ministry that nobody else talks about. Here, we're just jumping straight into year two. Like Matthew's like, hey, we gotta get going. You'll see why that's important in a moment. So, Jesus, John's arrested. Jesus goes around, he's, he's traveling around telling people, well, this. Here's the summary statement for his message, verse 17. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, we saw this same message from John the Baptist. Remember, I told you, we, all the, a lot of times, we detach John and Jesus from each other. Like, well, John's kind of crazy, says some crazy things, and we have Jesus, he talks about this stuff. Nope, they were talking about the same stuff. Repent from the kingdom of heaven is near. The reign of God is here. God is doing something. Repent and turn to God. Now, why this is so important, right? This is the beginning of this biography, the beginning of this message. This is a summary that you need to then understand all of, all of Jesus' teachings need to be read through this lens. This is like just, here's what it looks like, here's what he's communicating, and when um, Matthew starts to get into detail, which, which he will next week, we're gonna look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're gonna start looking at it. All of it needs to be filtered through this idea. Repent, turn away, turn to God, because God's reign is here. Something is happening, and it's a really big deal so, everything needs to be filtered through that. We don't just get all struck with the love of Jesus, although that's a great thing. We get all struck by the repent, turn from, and turn to God. That's what the calling for you and for me, all of us needs to be filtered through that. And then he continues, verse 18. So, one day, which is like, hey, by the way, it's not that day, but another day, right? Like one day, a different day. It's a transitional statement letting us know that, hey, we're moving on. So, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore, Of the seas of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter. We're going to find out a lot about him as we go along. And Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Let's continue. Verse 21. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, putting the boats with their father Zebedee, repairing the nets. And he called to them, come to. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat. And who behind? Their father. And this story sounds so ridiculous and crazy, especially if we just have Matthew's account. It's as if Jesus was taking a morning stroll on the beach, like walking on Myrtle Beach. Y'all ever gone there in the morning and see who walks out there? Anyways, he's taking his morning stroll on the beach, drinking his Starbucks, having his coffee. He sees some people working, and he's like, hey, why don't you all just come after me? And they're like, sure. Then he goes a little further. Hey, why don't you come? All right. It just like makes no sense. And we think, well, we could never do something like this. This doesn't work. If if Jesus just showed up to my work and said, come on, would would I drop everything? Like, what does that even look like? But there are a few things to keep in mind about this story. First, we have to understand they already knew Jesus. Jesus. They already knew him. As mentioned, Matthew doesn't discuss the first year of Jesus' ministry. But John lets us know that they'd been orbiting the life of Jesus, seeing him do things, listening to him teach. So this wasn't out of the blue. They were already kind of interested in Jesus. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him do teachings. In fact, Luke gives us a little bit more information. Jesus wasn't taking a stroll on the beach, drinking his coffee. He's teaching large crowds on the beach. So Jesus is calling a commotion because he's drawing a lot of people out, teaching them, and he sees these guys. They see what's going on. So there's a lot more going on. Remember, they're not telling us every detail. Like sometimes we read things wrong. They're just telling us what we need to know for the point they're trying to make. But so Jesus has this large crowd. He's teaching them. And he ends up doing this miracle, right? This is the time where where Jesus is like, hey, go out and cast your nets out. They're like, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We don't want to do it again. He's like, just do it. They're like, okay. And they end up catching this large haul of fish. It's after that to which Jesus says, come on. Come follow me. So there's a little bit more going on. And then second, we have to understand this idea of what Jesus is calling them to. You've probably heard the word before, but we're going to focus on it today. It's very important. This idea of discipleship. Who's heard the idea of discipleship in the church? All right, the rest, yep, okay, good. You've heard of it. You don't use it at, word, at work, do you? Like, you don't be like, hey, will you be my disciple today? We're going we're gonna to do this thing? Any of y'all ever applied for discipleship? No, right? So this is a very common word to them, but it's not a very common word to us, but we still get the idea. You see, what's going on is Jesus is a rabbi. He is a Jewish teacher in the first century. Like, that's the context. Jesus is a Jewish teacher. He's going around teaching. People know he is important. And every rabbi would have students under them called... Man, you already knew this. Y'all should be teaching up here. Okay, yeah. They would have disciples. These are people who would carry on their teachings. They would carry on their philosophies of life. They would carry on their religious teachings. This is how people got trained for ministry in this context. But a disciple was more than a student like we think of for our educational system, right? Educational system, I show up, you give me some information, I take a test, I'm good to go. This is more of like more, more grad school type stuff or apprenticeship type stuff where the person really worked hand in hand. They're, they're more of apprentices. And so they would work with, they would live with, they would eat with their rabbi. This call to discipleship is a call to not just do the things, although they wanted to do the things, Not just teach the things, although they wanted to be able to teach the things. They were with the rabbi to become like the rabbi. Like, I want to be like you, so I'm going to hang out with you. I I want to do what you do in life, so I want to spend time with you to see how you do life. And we get this. We pick up things from our friends. We pick up things from from our family, just people we're living with, people orbiting and doing life with. We pick up things. That's what this is. And so when I was an electrician, right, very similar, I had, to, not, well, I mean, for the work part, I had to become an electrical apprentice, right? I had to go to school, then I had to work with a licensed electrician so I could learn how to do electrical work like him. This idea is similar, but even deeper. You see, each rabbi would have their own understanding of the Torah. They would have their own understanding of how to teach, right? They, they all followed God. They all believed in the Big Ten, the commandments, right? You know what those are. They all believed in that, but then they would all teach and preach like, here's what it looks like to follow God. They'd have their own interpretations just like today. We have different dominations. We have some preachers are right and some preachers are wrong, right? I'm the right one if you didn't know. And so like we work through all that kind of stuff. Like everybody has their own bent. That was a joke. Um, we all have our own bent, our own way of teaching and seeing things. Well, back then they had the same thing, Rabbis had different ways of understanding things, different ways of explaining this is what it looks like to follow God. And so all these rabbis would have these disciples who would come be a part of their life. And listen, they didn't have smartphones, so they would memorize their rabbis' teachings. They would memorize, like, how many of y'all have a good memory? We got three of you. I'm proud of you guys. But they wouldn't memorize them because they couldn't just pull out a pen and paper real quick. They couldn't pull out a smartphone. So for us, we're like, man, they wrote this Bible like like 30 years after Jesus. Who could remember that? They could, because that's what they did, that's the point. Jesus wouldn't just teach something once. Chances are he would teach the same thing over and, over and 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 over. until they knew it, and then they could record it and write it down because that's what disciples did. Like, that's their culture. I'm gonna memorize your teaching so then I can teach what you teach, but also, check this out, so then I can build off of your teaching and carry out your teachings as, as, as a student when I become a rabbi. So that's what we're looking at. Like, that's what's happening. You see, for a Jewish boy... They would learn the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, through their educational system, like through grad, like through um, their, their um, elementary education. That's what they did. They learned the Torah. In fact, the Torah. In fact, most of them would memorize a lot of it, if not all of it. They say, I don't know about that, but that's what they say. Like, this is what they studied. This is what they did. So they would memorize this stuff. And these Jewish boys were God-fearing. They were very religious. They grew up learning the Bible. And then some of them, as they got older, some of them who had special skills, who were smart enough or good enough, if they had a lot of potential, they could go and ask a rabbi. They'd be like, hey, rabbi, can I come hang out with you? Can I be like you? I'm thinking about doing this whole religious thing. Can I be like you? And so the rabbi would filter things through. He'd put him through tests, and he'd be like, yes, you can be one of my students. Or no, you can't be one of my students. If you were not allowed to be a disciple of a rabbi, what did you do? You went on Indeed.com, right? You looked for a career, and you looked for a job, right? I didn't have that. So if you weren't chosen to be a rabbi, you'd go to work with your dad or in your family trade because that's what people did. If your dad was an electrician, you became electricians. I don't think they had electricians back then, though. Uh, if your dad was a boat worker, you'd be a boat Like, that's what happened. And so we have these guys, these, 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 these Jewish men, who are at work. And we know one or two of them was a disciple of John. Um, and so that means, and John evidently didn't have, like, full-time disciples. Kind of makes sense because John wasn't part of the religious system, probably wasn't fully funded. Anyways, we'll talk about that a different day. But we have these guys who are at work. They're not full-trained Um, They're not not disciples of anybody else, at least not full time. But they know in their culture that being a disciple of a rabbi is a prestigious thing. These guys didn't get chosen for it. They're working with their dad. But it's an honor and it's prestigious. They're fishermen who are at work and they say, Jesus. Jesus says, come on. Let's go. So they drop everything. Because being with Jesus is more important than doing anything else. Being a student of Jesus is more important than anything else. And so, us, we look at this story like that's absolutely crazy. It's not. It's thinking about the, your dream job or the most important thing to you. If someone finally came and offered you, like, hey, come do this, you would drop everything you had and go do that job, right? Well, that's what they're doing. Like, we, we want to be like Jesus. We want to work with Jesus. We want to give our life to Jesus. And he says, come on, leave your nets, leave your dad. We're going to go fish for people. And we'll get to that in a minute. And I love this because then Matthew gives us another summary statement, like this is all about introducing us to what we're about to see through the rest of the book. We saw John the Baptist ministry. We see a summary of Jesus's ministry. We see a summary of this discipleship, which we're going to look at in detail. but then we see the summary of what Jesus went and did. Here we go, verse next. All right, never mind. Go back. I must have taken it out. It's Matthew 4, 23 says this. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee after he called these fishermen, after they came with him. It says, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News spread about him as far as Syria, and people began to bringing him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. And people from Galilee, the ten towns of Jerusalem and Judea, and from the east and the Jordan River. So, So here's that summary statement of what Jesus did with his disciples. He took them, and he went from town to town, teaching them, sharing the good news, and healing people showing them what the kingdom of God looks like, what he can do, calling their attention. Like He attracted these crowds by healing people and helping people. And he already tells us what the message is. This is the message. Repent, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And so Jesus went around just announcing this, healing people. And one thing we have to remember as Christians is doing good works is a great thing, but good works needs to be attached to that good news. Jesus went around doing good things, but it's because of the good news. Why are you doing those good things? Because of the good news. That's what Jesus did. So large crowds came after him. Jesus met people where they were at, and he healed them. He helped them and explained to him, here's why I am doing this. I bring this up to show you, or Matthew brings this up to show us, that the call of the disciples immediately went into a call of work. He said, let's go. We got a mission to do. We got a job to do. He didn't call them together. All right, guys, let's sit down. All right. So what songs are we singing this weekend? Where do we want our building to be? What are we going to do? No, no, he called them and started traveling and started teaching and started preaching and started healing and started announcing that the good news, Jesus Christ, the gospel, the kingdom has come. And here's why they knew that because they were his disciples. He was a rabbi. This is what they did, and this is the context that we miss. Because to be a Christian is to be a disciple. This is what you and me are called to. This is what it looks like. We're gonna switch translations, and this is what we're gonna look at for the rest of the day, Matthew 4 19. This is the New American Standard. It's a more literal translation, great translation if you don't have one, but it's more word for word. And he says, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish. Um, I will, excuse me, I will make you fishers for people. This is the call of a disciple. This is the call of a Christian. If you didn't know, I want you to pay attention to this next part, because sometimes like, like, well, well, I don't want to be a disciple. I just, I just want to be a Christian. Pay attention to this. Acts 11.25, from the beginning, it's been pretty clear. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found them, he brought them to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Check this out. The disciples were called what? Little Christs first at Antioch. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. The call from Jesus to discipleship, to make disciples, to come and be like our rabbi, to serve him, to give our life to him is exactly what it means to be a Jesus follower, a Christian. And so let's break this down. Matthew 4.19, New American Standard. We're going to stop here. He said to them, follow me. Let's pause. You see, a disciple knows and follows Christ. This is our head knowledge. Unfortunately, this is where many people think it's okay to stop. But this isn't just accepting Jesus as your, as your savior. This is accepting Jesus and submitting to Jesus as your Lord, your king, and your savior. As we started from the beginning of Matthew, we saw from the beginning, he's like, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the king. And there's only one thing you can do if you believe he's the king. It's submit. It's to turn over. It's to absolutely give him your life. This is what it means to believe in Jesus but submitting to him it means he is leading and if he's following that means we're following him he's he's the one in front we're the one behind and the great thing for us they signed up to follow this rabbi before Easter like before he rose from the grave we get the ability to sign up to follow this rabbi after the grave He can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off and we get to follow him because the call is the same. This is what the head knowledge is. We are called to follow and place ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. And some of us, I don't know about you, but me, I have massive authority issues. I don't want anyone, except my wife. All right, not her either. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. How about you guys? I don't want nobody. No, I, don't, I have authority issues. But being aware of your issues helps you deal with your issues. If you know you're sick, being aware that you're sick is the first step to getting healthy. Looking at the symptoms, finding out the disease. You see, I have authority issues, but I know about them. All of us have authority issues. And that's what sin is. We disobey, we turn away, we ignore and do our own thing. We all have these authority issues. That's why we're all called to submit, to believe in Jesus Christ. So a disciple, a follower, someone who follows Christ, they're putting their faith and trust in him at the head level. This is acknowledging. This is the belief. This is the trust. Nope, go back. Yep, the head. I, I like... I think this isn't my future, folks. It's a little bald head, so I'm just embracing it at every moment I got. Just I'm, I'm, I'm coming comfortable with it. But it's the head level. It's the understanding. And that doesn't stop. We continue to grow and understand more and understand more because he is vast. And we believe. So he said to them, follow me. That means, come on, I'm leading. And then look at this next part, next verse. I will make you. It goes against everything in our culture because I want to make myself. I'm a self-made man. Well, I guess you're not a Christian. He wants to make us into something. He wants to do a good work in your life. This is all about having your life transformed by Jesus. This is the heart change. This is the rough part. This is the let's get into those things that nobody else knows you think about. Nobody else knows that you feel. Jesus wants to get in there and work through all of that. And right up front, you have to understand, I have to understand, a call to be a Jesus follower, a call to be a disciple, is understanding that God wants to do work in your life. He wants to change you which means Jesus is in the business of changing, of working in you, of helping you. I cannot overstress the importance of this because back then they automatically knew to be a disciple means to be like my rabbi. To be like him means not to be like me, and I wanna follow him because I think he has the answers, he knows where he's going, I like the way he's talking, I like the way he's living, so I wanna be like that. And Jesus, this call is about life transformation. That He wants to do a good work in your life, and He calls the guys, and, and you have to love this. He calls the regular, ordinary fishermen, the ones who've been looked over, the not good enoughs that we can't make it. We're not smart enough. People like me, maybe like you, I don't know. He calls us, and says, "I'm going to do a good work in your life. I'm going to watch what I'm going to do. Come on." And this is one of the most challenging things to accept about our faith, because our faith is not self-improvement and just motivation. Here's 10 steps to be better. It's that Jesus Christ wants to come and do a good work in your life, which means you have to stay connected to him. You have to stay close to him. Check this out. And I, this is just, it, it feels gross saying it, and I'm embarrassed that I'm embarrassed for saying it, but we have to stay dependent upon him. Like everything in me says, I got this, I'm going to do it on my own. Watch this, I'm pretty awesome, watch. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. You need me or you can't do anything. Read John chapter 15, he says those exact things. So this whole thing is not about me doing something different, but about staying close and connected enough to Jesus that Jesus does a good work in my life and starts changing my heart and does a work in my heart. And it's allowing him to do that. You see, he's given us his word, And we're filled with his spirit who wants to empower us and change us and work through all that stuff like helping us forgive. Who likes doing that? Be generous, be kind, patient. He wants to do this good work in us. He wants to renew our minds. He wants to empower us. He wants us to be new creatures who've been saved by his wonderful grace. So a disciple its one who's following Christ. It's also one who's being changed by Christ, continually being changed by Jesus. But then we're not done. He wants to make us into something, these fishers of people. We got work to do. A disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus does not call them into a building. He does not call them to just go out, be away from the world into a monastery, let's just have this holy huddle. Jesus calls them to fish for people, to cast nets, to cast a bait, to try to attract, to try to reach people for Jesus Christ. This is action. This is movement. This is exactly what we saw he did next. Remember, he called the disciples and he went around to all the towns healing preaching and teaching like that's what a disciple does they're committed to the mission of jesus christ jesus could not be more clear than we have the cross we know what he did to save sinners but he says in luke nineteen ten, if you don't know this verse you should memorize it next slide jesus says for the son of man came to seek means look for and save those who are lost He came to seek and save the lost, and we, you and me, we need to be thankful for this because that's us. He came to save us. He came to find us, and that's pretty amazing. But then he gives his disciples the call to go do the same, to reach people for Jesus Christ and to share with people the wonderful good news of the grace of God. I mean, he has radically changed my heart and my life. This is what he's done for me. Like, you want to have a better marriage? Follow Jesus. You want to be a better parent? Follow Jesus. You want to be a better boss? Follow Jesus. Like, man, he has done this good work in my life. Has he made you richer? No, actually, I give all my stuff away. I don't have anything now. But I'm happier. Maybe that's not your calling, but we see plenty of that throughout church history. Jesus wants you to be committed to his work. Jesus came to save and the reality is, folks, listen, people who don't know Jesus Christ are going to be eternally lost without him. Like that's what the Bible teaches. We're going to see all that. We're going to see this idea of judgment all throughout, this, all throughout Matthew. But he came to save. He came to rescue. And it's your, our job to get on board with sharing this good news, to helping people know him. You see, as Christians, we're not called to establish the kingdom of this world. We're not called to make sure that our favorite political party gets in and gets it right this time. That's a kingdom of this world. But we follow the King of Kings who said, I didn't come to establish the kingdom of this world. We are Jesus followers, the great King. And our job is not to be the moral police for other people. Our job is to share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. Far too long, Christians, you've heard me say this a bunch. If not, I'm glad you're here today. Christians have to stop expecting non-Christians to be like Christians. Non-Christians do not know Jesus, nor do they play by the same rules. But Christian, you're called to be like a Christian, be like Jesus, to get on board with the mission of Jesus Christ, to reach people with the gospel. We are expected to do that, to be his hands and his feet. This is what a disciple is. This is what a Christian is. So a disciple is one who follows Jesus, head level, being changed by Jesus. That's the heart level. Commits to the mission of Jesus to save people from their sins. Thank goodness we don't do that. Jesus already done that. We just tell them about him. this is a summary statement of what discipleship looks like and now that you know this i want you to lean into the rest of the matthew we are going to continually see this we're going to see them being challenged mentally like i don't know who he is think he's the son of god i think he's the son of god i don't know they continually they, they have to grow in their beliefs because they don't understand it all at once it's okay follow him he'll teach you you'll continually see their heart being changed at one point they want to blow up a town they're like jesus can we call napalm down you like, Christian would never think that way. They sure do. they are like, Jesus, let's blow that town up. They rejected you. And Jesus is like, okay, look, you've missed it. It's not what we're going to do here. But we also see them commit to the mission of Jesus. Folks, the reason why we know Jesus in the 21st century is because these guys went and took it all over the world. They thought it was important enough to give their life to it, to share with people. And so I ask you this morning, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented from your sins and turned to God? Do you believe in him? Can you point to, like I can this glue stick and chapstick, can you point to a tangible time where you gave him your life? You can't can't accept Jesus by accident, like, oh, I hung around him, so he just kind of slipped in. It's not surrendering. Well, I went to church. Mm -hmm. So did a whole lot of people. Have you surrendered? Have you committed your head? Have you acknowledged, trust, believed all these words that explaining that I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? If you have, are you being changed by Jesus? Are you trying to be a Christian without life transformation? Are you trying to be a Christian without God doing a good work in your life, without Him continually, continually, continually convicting you of your sin? He's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I got to go apologize again to my wife. Husbands, are you tired of apologizing to your wife, yet I am? My goodness. It's a constant thing in my world. I'm trying to be perfect. It doesn't work. But is he doing a good work in your life? Can you point to how you are growing, how you're forgiving, how you're less angry, you're more patient? I'm not saying you're not going to go off the rails. I'm not saying things aren't going to be difficult. But can you point to real tangible things about how your life is changing? anybody knew me 20 years ago oh my goodness they'd be like Jesus must be real (laughs) I still got a whole lot of work to do but he's going to do the work that's his job I'm just along for the ride and then are you committed because he wants to turn us into something that's what's so important to be fishers of men he doesn't want to turn you into something because it's all about you He wants to turn you into something because he wants you to be about him and what he's doing. He wants to send you out. He wants you to share the good news. He wants to share the hope. He wants you to share the life change that you've experienced with other people. Do you share that with people? Sharing the gospel, sharing the news of Jesus is the most important thing you can do in this world. Sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. and You don't have to be weird about it. Right, I mean you can work it into a normal conversation, it is possible. But do you even try? Try. Commit to it. Can you point to how you are going board with the mission of Jesus Christ? Can you point to it? Are you inviting people to church? Are you telling them about Jesus? You're like, well, that's not for me. It's for every single Christian because that's what it means to be a Christian, a disciple who wants to be like their rabbi and they're committed to getting the message of the rabbi out. That's what they do. That's what we are. We are fishers of men and women, right? That was given. Have you? Have you repented? Jesus was clear. This is his message. Repent. And it's so easy for us to make it about us. But it's not about us. It's about him. It's about pointing people to the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And folks, I don't want you to feel bad. Feeling guilty doesn't lead to change. I want you to be thankful for your salvation. Be thankful for what Jesus has done. And out of that gratitude, Share the gospel out of that gratitude of how he saved your marriage, out of that gratitude that he's saved your life, that he saved you from that addiction. He saved you from whatever's going on. Like if this stuff's happening, you should be super, gratif- I mean, super grateful. So share it. Talk about it. Be able to point to it. He's invited you. He's invited us. Me, The discipleship. It's what it is. We're going to see it. And I hope you've signed up for it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this call into discipleship, this call to be like Jesus. Father, continually help us grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Because it's through Jesus we can learn to be the people we've been created to be. It's through Jesus we can live out our purpose and your plans for our lives. And, Father, we remember this, this challenge, this call to follow after you. Father, we remember this through your great grace and forgiveness, knowing we're not going to be perfect. You don't expect us to be perfect. You don't expect us to have it all together. You call the not good enoughs to come on. Father, help us continually let you work in our lives. Help us continually grow in our faith. Help us believe deeper. Help us understand the depth and the width and the length of your great love. Father, help us see the world through your mission that people are important. You've come to save them. Help us get serious about that. Help us have empathy. Help us have compassion. But as Christians, help us be the light to the world. Not the judgmental, pointing fingers type, but the ones who just say, man, Jesus has changed my life. Thank you, God, for that. We thank you for salvation. Father, give us the urgency to share this hope with other people. So, Father, we thank you. We trust in you. We look to the difficult things going all around the world and the nervousness and the scaredness and we see how everybody else is losing their minds. Lord, we trust in you. We can be different. We can have a peace. We know you're in control. So help us let all those other things spur the urgency of the gospel, the message of the hope. Oh God, we thank you In Jesus' name.